Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full 90-minute show today going up until 7 o'clock, actually just after 7 o'clock. 7.08 officially because that's what time Red Sox pregame begins. Sox and Rays game one of the ALDS from Tropicana Field. Sox beat the Yankees in the AL wildcard game on Tuesday. Joining us now, a guy who was in the building at Fenway on Tuesday calling the game for ESPN. It's our ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney. Buster, what was the vibe like on Tuesday at Fenway? Man, it was intense. Uh, you know, just I told you before, I grew up as a, a Laker fan in central Vermont. Uh, and I love the games when the Lakers and Celtics would play Bird and Magic in, in old Boston Garden because it was that sort of intense, low-level grumbling and anxiety as uh, the ball was being dribbled up the court. That's the way it felt before the game. Like, there was a lot of intensity in that building and uh, all released, I think, when Xander Bogarts, when Xander Bogarts hit that two-run homer in the first inning and, and uh, the pressure immediately shifted, it felt like, from uh, from the Red Sox onto the shoulder of the, of the, uh, the Yankees. You know, there was a lot that when we talked about the game on Tuesday leading up to it, there was a lot that ended up playing out like we thought, a lot that we got right. The one thing we got wrong was – the Red Sox bullpen was better than the Yankees. That was the surprise. And, uh, you know, the Red Sox were able to to make Severino work. They were able to get to Chad Green. How surprised were you with that? Uh, you know, I, I definitely going in on paper. Look, on paper, uh, the the Yankees were seemed to have an advantage. Um, I, I, you know, as the game played out, I do think the score had a lot to do with it. The fact that the the Red Sox took the took uh, took a lead, yeah. uh, I think, allowed their pitchers to attack in a way that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise been able to. It was huge um, with the way the Red Sox season finished. Uh, you know the struggles that they had. Uh, you know down the stretch. It was huge for them to get out the way they did and get that lead. You know, I know he didn't have a huge statistical game on Tuesday, but I've been thinking a lot about the reinvigorated energy on this team. And Alex Cora is certainly part of that. Verdugo is part of that. But Kiki Hernandez, I think, goes under the radar. I just think the energy he brings to this team and the winning attitude that he brings to this team, having come from the Dodgers, it seems like that's been an intangible that's really helped this team moving forward. What do you hear about Kiki? About Kike, rather? Right, and he's someone who Alex Gore helped to draw to the team, to lure to the Red Sox during the last offseason because, of course, Alex knows him. You know, the both of them share uh, roots in Puerto Rico. Uh, they have a great rapport. And, yeah, when you are watching the team warm up before the game, you know, where they go out on, along the baseline and do the running in the after, you can just feel it when Kike's out there. I also think Devers has a lot to do with that, too. Um, you know, he – as, as Tim Hires, their, their hitting coach, told me, like there's a toughness in Devers that people don't necessarily see because uh, he's got that cherubic face. <laughs> but he said he's not afraid of any situation. Uh, and I think that rubs off on other players uh, with the Red Sox because it doesn't matter if it's, you know, roll this Chapman throwing 103 miles an hour or if the bases are loaded in two outs. Devers is in it, and he's on it. Uh, and I, I think between he and Kike Hernandez and Xander Bogart, they do have a great core leadership on that team. And, and by the way, Kyle Schwarber's fit in uh, along those lines as well. Everybody, everything I've heard is that since Kyle Schwarber showed up, he's fit right in like he's been there for 150 years. And, and guys like Bobby Dahlbeck have, have uh, you know, drawn from him and learned from him 
Uh, Kyle Schwarber is one of the nicest people you want to meet, and he uh, he certainly lent a lot since he joined the team. You know, Buster, Schwarber's got this kind of interesting, I never even heard of it before, a mutual option at the end of the season. I got to presume he's going to opt out and test free agency and try to get his money, but do you, if you gave truth serum to the people in the Red Sox organization about who would they rather have as their DH in 2022, would it be Schwarber or would it be J.D. Martinez? Well, it would be Schwarber because he's younger. Right. Um, look, both guys would present the question of, you know, where do you play them defensively? They're best suited, each of them, to be a DH. Um, but, but, you know, given the fact that J.D. Martinez is, is significantly older than Schwarber, then I'm sure that the you know Red Sox people, if they could just, uh, you know, set it money aside, contracts aside, Schwarber would be the natural play for every team. And, and you know, given the fact that it looks like, uh, that we will have a universal DH in 2022. You would assume the Players Association Major League Baseball can figure that out together. If you're Kyle Schwarber, you're going to have twice as many bidders as you might have had last winter. You're going to have a great body of work. The, the, the home run burst that he had for uh, the Washington Nationals, you know, the success he's had with the Boston Red Sox, uh, transformative really for that offense, uh, you're going to do really well in free agency. And I am going to be curious to sort of – you know, see where that develops. Could he be someone, uh, if the Yankees decide to, to move on in some ways from the Luke Voigt of the world uh, and try to get more lineup balance, you see someone that the Yankees might chase. Hmm. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. I want to get to the Yankees. I'm not in the business of defending the Yankees. I don't like the Yankees like most people up here don't like the Yankees. But I think Aaron Boone gets far too much grief, and the people calling for his head, I, I completely disagree with, Buster. You had the stat yesterday in the three full seasons he's been there. They've averaged 98 wins a year in the regular season. They have gone to the ALCS, and he's dealt with such an unbelievable rash of injuries in the last four years. I I, I have a hard time criticizing Aaron Boone. What do you think? I, I do, too, and I'm also aware of the fact that, you know, because I worked with uh, Booty on Sunday Night Baseball, he's a friend, right? And, and so I'm going to be naturally biased to, to some degree, but I also, when I take a step back from it, I, I find the conversation around Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman to be inane. Uh, and I live in the New York area, and every day you listen to, should they fire Boone, should they fire Cashman? And you look at the, you know, what they've done since Aaron Boone has joined that team. You, you mentioned you know, 98 wins on average over the three full seasons. They've made the playoffs in every year. Uh, and, and, yeah, you can pick apart decisions that he makes. You can pick apart decisions that Brian Cashman's made. They, this is an organization. They have not had a losing season in almost 30 years, hmm. right? Wow. Every year they're in a position to contend, uh, it seems, for you know, the American League champ East Championship and the American League Championship. Now, this year has not been easy on them. The other day uh, before the wild card game, I was behind the batting cage and I was talking with Brett Gardner, and, and he gave me kind of a, an ironic line of, boy, this, this year has just flown by. It's been really easy. And then Aaron Boone heard that as he walked by, and they and they were joking about that. It's been a hard year for them because of the you know the highs and lows, um, the streaks, the slumps, uh, you know the COVID battles that they've been through. Um, but they managed to get through it, and they managed to make the playoffs. And if they fire, you know Brian Cashman, I think he would probably be offered a job by the Mets within about 0.2 hmm. seconds. And if Aaron Boone is let go, his contract is expired. If uh, you know, he could certainly move on. I'm sure that he would be hired immediately by a team like the San Diego Padres. 
Let's move forward now to tonight's game, ALDS Game 1. The Red Sox are certainly, you know, the Vegas underdog here going up against the Rays, but how much does the familiarity of facing a division foe help or hurt the Red Sox? I, I think the familiarity helps. What do you think? Yeah, I think it absolutely helps to narrow the gap because I think on paper, when you look at the two teams, I think the Rays are a significant favorite over any team at this point that's remaining in the field. They're playing great. They have great lineup depth. They have tremendous depth in their pitching. Um, but the fact that they played each other, uh, I think it, it almost eliminates the mystique uh, if you are the, the Red Sox about the Rays. It kind of reminds me of you know back in the day when the, the Red Sox and Yankees were in their heyday when the Yankees, you know, after a while, they, you know, beating Pedro Martinez was not something that was unusual for them. Uh, the Red Sox at bats against Mariano Rivera, they, they had far better at bats than any other team because they were familiar with it, with him, just as the Yankees were familiar with Pedro Martinez. So I think you're exactly right in that, uh, you know, if the team's going to have a shot to beat the Rays, I think it's going to be a team you know, coming from within the division, that makes a lot of sense. You know, Shane McClanahan's going to get the ball for for Tampa tonight for Kevin Cash's team. Young, hard-throwing lefty, but he is a rookie buster. How much do you think that that weighs into into tonight, and can the Red Sox exploit that inexperience? Yeah, and and look, you know, I'd be the first one to extol experience uh, as an important factor in the postseason because we've seen it. I think right now, for example, the Dodgers, as they move forward, you know, they're going to, have an advantage because of their experience. The Braves are in the same boat. But I would say this. I think that um, the, the lack of Major League service time isn't as big of a deal for the Tampa Bay Rays and their starting pitchers. In their first two games, they're going to go with McClanahan and Shane Boz, yeah. who are both rookies. Shane Boz is 13 innings in the big leagues. Here's the thing. The Rays, part of their secret sauce and their secret to their success is that they slow play the development of their starting pitchers more than any other organization. Some of it's financial. Uh, they want to make sure that these pitchers are ready when they reach the big leagues. They don't want them to need time developing in the big leagues. But when they get to the big leagues, they're ready to go. Uh, and we've seen that time and time again. Uh, you know, It kind of reminds me of uh, you know someone moving up through the University of Alabama flow chart on their football mm-hmm. team. Like they had the red shirt year. They had a couple years behind – you know, some guy who was probably drafted by the NFL, and when they appear on the field, they are ready to go. Um, so I, I always feel like that when we talk about experience, it doesn't necessarily apply to the raised pitchers because the context is just so different. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. There was all the talk a couple of weeks ago that the Rays were going to use the playoffs as an opportunity to have a banner up on their outfield wall that was promoting their you know plan of having a split season between Tampa and Montreal. Now, they've subsequently bagged that banner, and they're not going to do it, but it's still you know out there in the universe. Two years ago, when, it, when the idea came about, I laughed it off. Two years later, they're still talking about it. Is this true, or is this the greatest ruse in, in MLB history? Well, I think that they're serious about pushing forward the idea, and you can have a um, you, you can have a conversation and and wonder aloud if you know is this uh, trying to le- create leverage for other situations? Is this something that Stuart Sternberg, their owner, is you know actually trying to develop because he wants to uh, you know find a way to to keep games in in the Tampa area? And, you know, in speaking with St. Petersburg and with Tampa. But I, I just – I almost feel like it's a, a waste of, of oxygen and energy to even think about it. 
until we actually see that the player association would sign off on it. They would have to agree to have a team full of players move constantly between two spots during the course of a regular season. And I just don't believe they would do that. You know, we've seen the Toronto Blue Jays in the last two years play in different spots because of COVID, because of the you know, the rules uh, in Canada about COVID are different from the rules in the United States. But that's out of necessity. In that case, I just don't think they'll ever get the player, Players Player Association to agree to it. Very interesting. It's something we're going to continue to follow and has a, a grave uh, interest level up here as people want to see baseball back in Montreal. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us every single Thursday. Buster, when we talk next Thursday, hopefully we're talking about an ALCS that the Red Sox are a part of. But either way, we will talk to you in seven days. Always love talking with you, Brady.